This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books. Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another edition of Wireless Books brought to you from the Athenaeum Library, well sorry, the Athenaeum Mechanics Institute, Dunedin's oldest institution, the Lending Library and we are broadcasting from the lovely studios that are Otago Access Radio and talking about bringing Dunedin's history to life, I myself was involved in that last weekend, Christine. Oh yes, what were you doing? I happened to be a very important, no not important, um, extra in the movie um, One Winter about the 1981 Bok tour. Oh, that brings back memories. It sure does. Well I was in the protest first time round, however in my school uniform, very young high school, well one of the days that um, the protest was happening was obviously a weekday. Um, the test at Carisbrook was on during this weekday. I can't even remember what day of the week it was. Uh, and I remember me and us, my schoolmates, had to go to school that morning with a note from our parents to say we were allowed to leave early to take part in the protest. So that's really rebellious, isn't it? Still go to school. Get your no- give your note from your mother. Go to the protest in your school uniform. It was only one of many, of course. But it, it, oddly enough, um, taking part in in uh, that movie, obviously the riot police scenes, and that did stir up memories from that time that I hadn't really thought about in a long time. Well, I don't. I don't know. That there was particularly um, riot police activity in Dunedin, was there? Well, there was on Saturday, so. Oh, on a Saturday, I just remember going up Stewart Street. Or were we going down? I can't remember. I just remember Stewart Street. I'm talking Street. about last Saturday when we shot the movie. The shot oh. We shot that, that's what I mean. Artistic licence, Christine. What would you know? You'd be with my, my sister just probably shopping for clothes or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Young people, I think they know it all. <laughs> Let's talk about a few books, shall we? Ah, oh, how refreshing. And uh, actually, Beth, you can talk about the book that you had because I haven't reviewed it oh, yet. So. Outside, yes, by Ragnar Jonasson. Sorry about that. Um, now, there were over three million copies sold of this and typical wonderful Scandinavian you know, horror. Four friends, one night, not everyone will come out alive. I didn't like it, mm. just quite simply. Uh, in Iceland, in a deadly Icelandic snowstorm, four friends seek shelter in an abandoned hunting lodge. Miles from help, and knowing that they will die out in the cold, they break in, hoping to wait out the storm until morning. So everything kicks off from them. But in true... Um, thriller style of course it, it yes it isn't a um, one off stranger danger she's picking the book <laughs> apart 
and not there just is, the splot. There is dark. Give it back to me oh, before there you is ruin it. Dark brooding resentments between these four friends that go way back in their past. And what's that uh, saying? Revenge is a dish best served cold. I think this would sum it up. Uh, no, it was a good read. Um, I just. A bit of a slow burn. Mm. Uh, sometimes it works well. In this, I mean, this will be a very popular book. Great writer, really is. I didn't like the characters, and I think that's what it was. Yeah. I just didn't like any of them, and yeah, I didn't. You've got to like somebody to at least care, about care who gets yeah. killed. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, no. It, did it have a twist at the end for me? Not really, um, but. You know, beautifully written book and wonderful uh, descriptions of the environment therein as well. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff in this book. It'll be very popular. And um, yeah, I'm happy to read more of this author's books. I actually want to read The Girl Who Died next. I did forget to ask you for that. Oh, okay. Here you go. Here's the book. It's still in one piece. It was only a bit of Stop the picking bits off it. <laughs> Yes, and I can see that I know why you've chosen this next book. It's just like you, your ink black heart. Yes, it's the. uh, It's this. I'm pretty certain it's the sixth um, Robert Galbraith um, novel. And I'll just quickly go through the story because actually um, a member was on the other day and we were talking about it, and she she had no idea that it was J.K. Rowling who, who is person who writes the Robert Galbraith books. Neither neither did I. I'm sure I've talked about this. Oh, probably. Okay. <laughs> Many moons ago, after she finished um, the Harry Potter series, she was, you know, what would she write next? And she wrote an, an adult's novel, um, which got nice reviews, but I think she sort of felt it got too much attention because of who she was. So she'd and she decided she'd try um, a detective novel and she so she came up with this idea of writing under a nom de plume and just putting it out there anonymously and her, her publisher agreed to it so they came up with the name Robert Galbraith and the first one which um, I know she wrote the book about something like No Vacancies was that under the Robert Galbraith no, name? No, that it was wasn't. the book that she wrote immediately after oh, okay. the Harry Potters okay. and it was it was just a, a well, it was a, just a, a novel, and it, so the, the Cuckoo's Calling was the very first one, and it it was released, and it it was doing okay. It had some nice reviews, and it was selling moderately well. It was just still bubbling along and and doing nicely without you know it wasn't a big sensation or anything, but nobody knew that it was her, and then. I think he was a lawyer who worked at the publisher or he was married to somebody who worked. Anyway, there was a dinner party in London and he lets, he... Now I remember the story. Yes, yeah. he, he he told the story about how she was writing yeah. under a nom de plume. And, and of course, it, um, and it was in this sort of upper middle class echelon and so it immediately went through the city like wildfire and then it got into the media and so her cover was blown and suddenly everyone's rushing out to buy Robert Galbraith because it's J.K. Rowling Mm. and she was I think he lost his job over it and fair enough too because really it wasn't his secret to share but anyway so 
so now she's um, she must like doing them, and um, so she's written six of them. So why has she kept the nom de plume? Well, I think it just started off under that name, and she just. I think she's still probably quite annoyed about it, really. Yes. Yeah, no, that wasn't fair. That wasn't, it's, you know, she was trying to back up her writing prowess, her professionalism. Mm. And this, cha- I mean, what yeah. a na- it's not a nice thing to do. I'm sure he didn't mean anything maliciously, but you're right. It's not, it was not his secret to tell. Yeah. So anyway, this one, you know how it's sort of a trope of detective novels. Um, the the agency's always doing badly, and they're they're desperate for money, and they take mm. this case simply for the money. Oh, yes. Well, this one they're actually doing really well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they've got more than enough work, yeah. and um, they've hired some new detectives. I mean, they've already had they over the series they've got more more successful, and they've hired more people, and now they've hired even more. So the, everything's looking tickety boo, and. <laughs> And then they, um, a young woman who, she's a successful uh, cartoonist who writes, who writes or writes cartoons. And the name of the cartoon series is The Ink Black Heart. She's a graphic novelist, I yeah, guess. Yeah. And so she comes to them because she's being um, trolled and on um, on her um, social media, and she actually is um, so bad that she's afraid. And they actually say we can't really help you. It's not, you know, it's not our area of expertise. You'd be better off going somewhere else. And and I think part of them one thinks that maybe she's because she's quite a she's quite um, upset and everything. So they think maybe think that possibly it's in her own mind. So anyway, they they turn her down, and a few days later she is murdered. And so of course they they feel the guilt, and they think well. Maybe we didn't take the case on when she was alive, but maybe we should take the case on when she's dead. And it just leads them into the, all this world of, of chat rooms and private links and all this sort of thing. And, and um, yeah, they start turning over stones and there's always something yucky under the stones. Mm-hmm. And the thing about J.K. Rowling, I mean, I've never been able to get into them. And she writes... She writes big books she, like that one, you know. She yeah. doesn't. Well, to start with, they were like six hundred word bo- uh, page books. This one's a thousand, and it's got quite small print as well. It really, it's and the paper is very thin paper, but it's st- it weighs a ton. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't, you wouldn't be sitting um, up in bed reading this. You'd have to have it propped up with pillows yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> but. Um, so she's. It's not my cup of tea. I mean, I tried to read the first one, and it just didn't get. It just didn't draw me in. And um, but so it's obviously got a really big following, though, well, for this it, to be the sixth in the series. Well, it does. In fact, the UBS um, their first shipment of copies of it sold out. Goodness. So I yeah. don't know how many they got on their first first package, but yeah, they sort of had to. Yeah, I think they've got their second shipment since, but. To, to actually sell out a book oh, yeah. is pretty amazing. Yeah. So, how many mem- like as are there members at the Athenaeum who are actually devouring each of these volumes as they come out? Yes, there there are a few members who have yeah. who have read cool. them all and yeah. and enjoy them all. It's um, I think I just don't particularly like very long books, and um, 
the start of the very first book had an incident, uh, something in it, sort of a character development, which I did not approve of. So. Oh, right. Well, there you are. Robert Galbraith, take that. Mm. Well, that's good that the next one is in. And you are uh, supplying the few members who like it with it, and I think that's jolly good. I applaud you. Well, Anything for me? Well, <laughs> let's, let's see. Um, now, I've got the latest Lawrence Fernley um, book, Wintertime, and it's kind of a mystery. It's set in... Um, the Mackenzie country, and there's a family who um, I think their parents died young, and so, and the protagonist in this um, Roland, he was the oldest in the family, so he he kind of brought up his siblings, his younger brothers and sisters, and and then when they, they grew up and left, except for one who stayed, Barry, who stayed in the in the parental home and Roland took himself off to Sydney because he and he's found he runs a shop a successful shop with his partner and he has a good life and he keeps in contact he's kept in contact with Barry but then Barry dies and he goes back to the Mackenzie country the right um, place where where he grew up to basically to sort out Barry's affairs and things start to go a bit awry. Um, there's sort of a, this is more um, internet trolling, so this sort of <laughs> internet trolling of him and, he, and, and people, like the people throw stones through his windows and there just seems to be a, cam- a malicious campaign against him and he doesn't understand what it's about because Barry's lived in this community a very long time and he doesn't understand why they seem to dislike his family and so he starts to poke around and uncover and try and uncover things and yeah so that's the mystery on it and so you know it's set over the winter time so the weather's hostile and so are the people oh very good I like that yeah I think I actually think you'd you'll like it now I've got the latest Paddy Richardson as well by the Green of the Spring and this is actually a sequel to Through the Lonesome Dark and it's um, set in um, Black Bull and just before and during the First World War and, and afterwards. So our protagonists, there were um, three three young people, Otto, Otto, Pansy and Clem and Pansy and Otto have are lovers but when the war starts, Otto, of course, um, he's a German, Otto Bader, and he is sent up to Symes Island, and he has a pretty hard time of it during mm. the First World War. Meanwhile, Pansy um, marries Clem because she's pregnant to, with Otto's mm. child, and she's got to... I read the first book. Mm. I'm sure that's very... Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just... It's more of the same, and... Patty's done a lot of research about Symes Island. I mean, she's not the first person to have written about Symes Island and and how it wasn't very nice. But um, I'm not going to say she's done the best of it. But people have said have said that hers is as good as anyone, if not a little bit better than most. So yeah, and um, we're we're fans of Patty Richardson and at the Athenaeum. So. And this one is by 
Colleen Hoover, who was actually one of the most successful novelists in America, and she writes um, romances. But this is um, a little grittier than most. It's called It Ends With Us, and it's and it's dedicated to her father and says to my father who tried his very best not to be his worst oh. and for my mother who made sure we never saw him at his worst. And she's got a, a, an explanation at the end of it and she talks about how brave her mother was because her father, her mother and her father fell madly in love but he had a, a bad temper and he also drank and he would, he, he bashed her, them. He bashed his wife, and she stuck. And then afterwards, he was full of remorse, and they all that that cycle. In the end, she she had two daughters, and she left. And she was very, it was very hard for her. Um, they lived on hot dogs and and beans for about two years because she, you know, she didn't have much. She had a job, but she wasn't making much money. And eventually, she uh, remarried a, a lovely man, and was you know able to bring her children up in more affluence and when and Colleen kept kept in contact with her father so he didn't leave her life and he eventually um, went to AA and got clean and he always said that he still loved loved her mother and the was the worst thing that ever happened that he but it was too late he just missed his chance, and when actually when Colleen got married, she had her stepfather walk her up the aisle, because, and she explained it to her father, and he said, "No, it's right. He's your father. He he did all the hard graft." It's just it's it's sad. So she's sort of taken the bare bones of of her mother's story, and has written a story about a woman and a man who f- fall madly in love, but he's got a very bad temper, and and yeah. Their lo- can their love overcome it and um, it ends with us is, is the result and this has been a bestseller and yeah so it's she's written a lot of books and they've all been super bestsellers in the, in the States and um, I, I haven't really heard anybody in the New Zealand media talk about I've it I've never heard of her. yeah but I think it's just starting to the per- genre of what it, she well, wrote maybe but she, she is just starting to percolate into other um, markets apart from America is what I'm trying to say and um, yeah so well, I think it's very brave of her to write her parents story really as well as fiction Um Yes, it's, the, the characters aren't her no, parents, yeah, but it's yeah. just the, that circumstance. Now, shall we have a quick sting and then we'll... Oh, yes, certainly. Sorry. Forgive me. Are you ready? Stinging now. For more information on the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, go to www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz. That's Dunedin, A-T-H-E-N-A-E-U-M dot org dot nz. Oh, she's, she's got the lower lips out. Never mind. Now, I'm going to talk about a book called Dirt, um, Filth and Decay in a New World Arcadia. And the New World Arcadia is actually Dunedin. And it's by Pamela Wood. And 
one of the members, um, she also does a radio show and um, she's covered it in much more depth than I have on her radio show, which is, I think, Heritage Matters. Um, mm. Yeah, so if if what I tell you is of interest, go and go to the podcast and look up it up in Heritage Matters. So I'm just going to read a little excerpts about it and I'm going to read this one about the first um, surveyor of Dunedin and uh, the because the, the Dunedin's um, landscape has been changed so much by this by the um, settlers they they infilled the, the muds the harbour and everything so Frederick Tuckett of the New Zealand Company had selected the site for the colony and the head of the Long Otago Harbour at the south of New Zealand's south, southern island considering it altogether an ornamental and commodious site for a town separated from the ocean by a hilly peninsula. From the edge of the upper harbour, the site rose to a sheltering crescent-shaped ridge, which reached down to the flat stretches of marshy land at its northern and southern ends. Beyond the ridge lay another valley with a higher ridge of hills beyond it. From the face of the bush-covering ridge, spurs of land sloped down to the harbour, with streams in each of the deep gullies between. The longest spur divided the site with sloping land and a small gravel beach at its southern side into the north of Swampy Flat, which here formed a least defined edge of the harbour. At low tide, the mudflats across the bay were extensive. The only landing place for a boat was a small beach used by the Maori, and the nearest deep water anchorage was Port Chalmers, halfway down the harbour. So he began surveying, but lack of funds delayed him, and then he was joined by the more famous Charles Kettle, who arrived with a staff of surveyors. The site had a natural beauty, but it was difficult terrain for planning a town. Apart from the waterlogged flats, there was little level ground, and the site was divided by the main spur running down from its ridge. Despite this obstruction, Kettle and his team surveyed single, a single road running roughly north in a straight line for two and a half miles, from the base of one end of the bushy crescent to the other. Called Princess Street for its first length, it began with a tidal swamp at the southern end, climbed a slope as it ran alongside the harbour's edge, then fell into a swampy hollow, hollow around the Tutoi Creek. Beyond the next hurdle, the bulky encumbrance of the main dividing spur that became known as Bell Helm. The surveyors created an octagonal moray place. Its sloping enclosure was divided into segments, but with an octagonal reserve left in the very centre. Princess Street now continued as George Street through the northern swampy land, rising occasionally over the dry ground of Spurians until it reached a good-sized stream which the surveyors named the Water of the Leith. Beyond the channels at the northern end of the Leith was a saltwater inlet. The whole marshy area became known as Pilchett Bay and that actually became Logan, Lake Logan and oh. then Logan Park. Now they had, he's got an illustration of the swamp and I was looking at it and the swamp actually extends to where Countdown is now and mm. the building that we are recording through is actually just on the edge of the swamp and it's quite interesting this, um, the difficulty of, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really would you build a town but, but they did. <laughs> they, well we're here so they certainly did. Now I've moved on a few years and just this little bit. Once Jane McGlash 
Shin was able to return neighbours' calls. It was the custom for new arrivals to wait until visited by established settlers before they could call on others. Oh. She got to see inside houses. It's a real hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. sort of they were following the, the dictums of, this, yeah. of another time. But um, they were living, as, well, they built themselves sort of grass huts and then they would make huts with um, using the um, whale vertebrae and bark of rough manuka until they moved on to wooden hat. Houses, so it was it was pretty rough and ready. But um, once they've been there a while, it improved. Now, um, now this I think is quite fascinating. This is about the, and I'm probably not going to have time. Wave, you know the suburb of Waverley. Yes. Well, to get there, there was a swamp land, and there were two streams, and they were covered with rickety. Bridges which were called Little Waverley and Big Waverley because of their shaky construction. Some of the more timid of the elderly ladies crawled along them on hands and knees. Soon a footpath was formed across the swamp by digging two parallel ditches about four feet apart and throwing the topsoil on to a space between to create an embankment about 30 inches high and four feet wide. Travellers who had imbibed rather freely found the path not wide enough and tumbled into the ditch, although others under the same influence managed to steer a pretty straight course, crawling along with a hand on either side. <laughs> Gosh, they must have really have wanted to get to the other side. Well, I guess that's where their, their homes were. And the other thing is, when they cut through Bell Hill, they um, left... Houses um, sometimes up to fifteen to twenty feet high out with um, above the street level. So and so they put ladders out, and it was really very dangerous. The western side of the Bell Hill cutting was too steep for ladies to use and to use the ladders in any comfort and safety. But if some boards were placed in front, they might be able to use the steps without making such exhibitions of themselves. A resident observed though, that no lady would be able to go up or down the temporary steps in the Darling Street cutting without lacerating her feelings and being exposed to all the gazes that may pass. (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) thanks for that and happy reading, everyone. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum Library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.